politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots, disregarded American taxpayers and all around common sense Americans to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at our Northern Command Center in Maryland for our first show on September 3rd. This is our first, let's just say, meteorological fall show. I know summer still goes on for another couple of weeks, but you know, with the kids back in school, it certainly does feel like fall. And boy, this is just one other reason why I wish I lived in the South, where they start school much earlier. Man, it was getting dicey there with the kids. Just uh, home every day, borders anything. So I'm glad they're back in school. Now, I thought Congress was going to be back in school, uh, so to speak, today. But evidently, they're still on vacation until next week. Now, in a perfect world, that would be a bad thing because we have a lot of grievances that we, the people, need addressed. And it would be nice if they came back and addressed them. But given that we don't have a party that will address our grievances, and the only grievances they will address are those of criminals and illegal aliens, and they will distract from those problems by grabbing our constitutional rights, I guess in that case, it's better they don't come back until next week, next month, or next year. But I was just thinking, as we head into September, where we're going to have a budget deadline, now Republicans already gave away the farm on the budget, but officially they do have to pass an appropriation bill, we have the Democrats controlling the House where they will push with every fiber of their being, every false narrative, every false data point, with full passion, they will pound that lectern in pursuit of their agenda to let out criminals from prison and take away guns from law-abiding citizens. The question every patriot in this country should be asking is, well, okay, Democrats control the House, but don't Republicans control the Senate and the entirety of the executive branch? Shouldn't we see a competing, bold, alternative agenda that pushes back against this and pushes for criminal control with every bit of intellectual fortitude, passion, and commitment that the Democrats push for control of guns in the abstract of law-abiding citizens. But instead, what we find is that rather than Republicans taking the numerous, numerous opportunities we see in the news cycle, there are so many news items with illegal aliens, with criminals being let go, with the violence in Chicago, with assaults on now a USCIS office in addition to an ICE office where we are seeing time and again the predominant murder and violence problem in this country are from known criminals committed not with rifles, but with handguns, common handguns that aren't even extended magazines, knives and, and, and fists that prove the need to lock up more gun felons while empowering lawful peaceful Americans to carry across state lines. We have Jews being beaten up in New York City left and right, and they can't carry weapons there. Yet we don't see Republicans taking advantage of this. I want to start out today with the point 
that I, I saw an article in, in the local South Dakota papers passed around on the internet how the Democrat Party in South Dakota is closing up shop. They no longer will have a physical office because they can't afford it because they're financial problems. And they're actually going to just have a couple of workers work remotely without an office. The entire state Democrat Party, not, not just a county party, but the entire state of South Dakota. And a lot of people on our side or Republicans are laughing out of them. Aha, uh-huh, you see, you know, Democrats are totally erased from the map in South Dakota. Now, remember, we had a show last Thursday where we brought on a state legislator from Idaho, and we noted how the left has home field advantage in all 50 states. They have more of a presence policy-wise in red states than we have in red states, much less what we have in blue states, which is nothing. And I noted that there is no equivalent of Republicans being erased from the map you know, in blue states to Democrats being erased from the map in red states. Now, you might think, well, isn't this a great example? But <laughs> here's the thing. See, Democrats might not have an official party of viability in South Dakota. But I'll tell you what they do have. They have the Republican Party promoting their agenda on any given issue. How many good things do you see coming out of South Dakota? You don't. Because Republicans are like Democrats. A lot of times, literally, Democrats just run as Republicans in those states. And this is how ultimately you and I get disenfranchised. There's no greater victory of the left than having the supposed right-wing party echo their talking points, validate their premises, slow walk our agenda while indulging their agenda, but also being used as a false flag to take some of the heat off of them and you know, raise the ire from dis- disenchanted, disgruntled voters to, to blame Republicans for their policies. It's kind of like having their cake and, winning and, and, and eating it too. And this is what we have all over. We spoke about on Friday how the Arizona governor, Doug Ducey, Republican governor, is promoting in-state tuition for illegal aliens at a time when his state is being overrun with illegal aliens. And that's how you turn a state blue. By making the Republican Party blue. So A, you know, you, you fulfill the blue policies anyway, even in a red state, but B, you wind up blurring the differences and with Republicans not focusing on our agenda and our grievances and instead magnifying the grievances of the left, guess what happens? People start agreeing with it. And that's how you turn a state blue. And with that, I want to turn to Texas. So we had another shooting in West Texas. Now, this clearly didn't fit the bill of a typical mass shooting with a manifesto and a pre-planned thing. It was more like the guy was a career criminal, which is like most of them are. Never served time in prison, by the way. He got probation, suspended sentences. Typical case. And he was more running away from law enforcement than trying to plan a mass murder. So really, in my view, this should go in the bucket of the 99.999% of homicides that take place at the hands of random, um, not random, but 
but known uh, convicted criminals, repeat offenders. But they want to treat this like another mass shooting. So fine. We have out today an article, a very important article, with seven ideas to promote criminal control rather than gun control and actually accentuate this point by pinning the tail of blame on the donkey. Okay? Blaming the Democrats for letting out gun felons and all sorts of violent criminals while then trying to take away our God-given rights. Now, you would expect the great governor, um, what's his name, Greg Abbott, the great conservative governor of Texas, to be pushing our agenda, to be going after sanctuary cities, going after repeat offenders, going after gun felons, locking them up. Instead, he's like, we got to do something about guns, white supremacism. And then, you know, this is just over the weekend. Where is he? Governor, this is from the Texas Tribune. Governor Abbott says mistakes were made in his fundraising letter before the El Paso shooting. Governor Greg Abbott said Thursday that mistakes were made in his fundraising letter that used alarmist language in calling to defend the Texas border and was dated one day before a deadly shooting that targeted Hispanics in El Paso. And uh, it goes on to say, Abbott said he talked to members of the El Paso legislative delegation about the mailer and emphasized the importance of making sure that rhetoric will not be used in any dangerous way. We will make sure that we work collaboratively in unification. Um, And to me, this is just a perfect example. Greg Abbott sends out a fundraiser basically saying we have an invasion at our border. Well, who is he trying to target with that fundraiser? People like you and me in this audience, conservatives. So he uses our rhetoric. But then when it comes to actual policy, like, oh, yeah, we're going to be careful about our rhetoric. Are you kidding me? We have spent a full month now explaining case after case after case of murder, MS-13, rape, sex offenses, child sex molestation, particularly in Texas, at the hands of illegal aliens that most often harm Hispanics more than anyone else. But again, when you back down and you agree with the premise of the other side, However tepid it is, you are validating and empowering that side. Where is Greg Abbott pushing our seven-point plan? Now, what do we start out with with our seven-point plan? Let's let's go through all of this. Let's go through this one by one. Now, I first want to note that Republicans have the perfect jujitsu, the perfect example for which to push back and say, this fundamentally is about criminal control, not gun control. Next week, the House Judiciary Committee is marking up legislation to stiffen gun laws on those convicted of hate crimes. And what is it? To ban... uh, you know, extended magazine capacity guns. 
where the hell are Senate Republicans who control the Senate Judiciary Committee proposing bill after bill to toughen sentences on convicted gun felons? Convicted felons in totality while empowering the right to carry by lawful citizens. And here's what they need to be using. Everyone by now heard of the the shooter in West Texas, Odessa, Midland, who wound up killing seven people, injuring about 21. Just over the Labor Day weekend in Chicago, 43 people were shot, eight fatally, including one who was killed with in a knifing attack. At least 43 people. Okay? And, um, you know, I, I will guarantee you that most likely all the victims were, were black or Hispanic. And no one's talking about this. No one's talking about this at all. One after another, and, and this is from, from the Chicago Tribune here, oh, three others, a woman and two men were also wounded in the shooting. Um, and they go one after another into each thing. And I've said, as I've said many times, much of the violence in Chicago is being fueled actually by the transnational cartels, transnational gangs. That has a lot to do with our immigration policies, both at the border and in the interior of sanctuary cities. But again, this I, I can guarantee you, almost all of the perpetrators are black or Hispanic, as well as the victims. This is not about white supremacism. Almost all, if not all, of the Murders were done with simple handguns that probably didn't even have extended magazines, as well as knives. And I can guarantee you that almost all of them are repeat offenders. And the point is, unlike these random mass shootings, where it, often they're first-timers, but they account for 0.001% of the homicides over the past 50 years, these are so avoidable. And there's no reason we shouldn't focus on this. This is not over the course of a month. This is one weekend. More casualties than, than in this mass shooting that everyone's talking about. But what do we get from Mitch McConnell? What do we get? This is from TheHill.com. McConnell vows to give gun bill a vote if it is backed by Trump. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on Tuesday stressed the importance, stressed that President Trump support is the key to a gun reform bill coming to the Senate floor in the wake of mass shootings. Again, so again, validating their small slice of reality that they want to focus on, their messaging, their solution, their premise. He had a radio interview with Hugh Hewitt, and he said, um, it's up to Trump, I expect to get an answer to that next week. If the president is in favor of a number of things that has been discussed openly and publicly, I know that if we pass it, it'll become law. I'll put it on the floor. And, and like McConnell goes on to, to sound like like he's like a commentator, not the leader of Senate Republicans. I said several weeks ago that if the president took a position on a bill so that we would actually be making law and not just having serial votes, I'd be happy to put it on the floor. Um, and he said the key to this is honesty in making law, not to make a point. The way you make a right law now is to pass the House and get 60 votes in the Senate. What are you, a parliamentarian or something? 
You're supposed to be the leader of the Senate Republicans. I mean, why don't we see from Mitch McConnell the same passion to jujitsu gun control and to criminal control hit Democrats for taking away guns from citizens while letting gun felons out of jail and say, so like, yeah, whatever they want to bring up, it passes the House. Um, we'll, we'll pass in the Senate and get 60 votes. What the hell are you talking about, Mitch? It's like any piece of garbage the House passes, if the president supports it, I, I support it. No. W what do you believe in? What's your passion? What are your principles? I mean, this is who we have running the Republican Party. Could you imagine Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi acting like this? I mean, really? Yeah, you know, take 60 votes. I got some cloture votes here. Man, this guy's a Teletubby. The epitome of a, t a Teletubby. A sane Republican Party would get up before the American people and make the simple observation. Gun ownership in this country doubled since the early 90s. Over that same period of time, the broad homicides, the broad violent crime dropped by 60%. Why? Because we had criminal control. We took the violent felons, including gun felons, off the streets. At the same time, empowering Americans. This is the, it's a crisscross. Gun ownership and right to carry went up. Uh, crime plummeted. I'm not saying necessarily that the fact that people own guns resulted in less crime, but I'm saying you certainly can't say that that's a culprit. Now, what, what mainly did it, in my view, is what's often forgotten. Reagan defeated the Soviet Union. Everyone knows that. But what a lot of people don't know is that until his gains were reversed the last couple of years with the reverse trend of pro-criminal laws that has taken shape thanks to Republicans joining with the Michael Dukakis agenda, Reagan defeated what seemed to be an immutable crime bubble starting in the late 60s, 70s, 80s. It didn't bear fruit until after he was done because it takes a while to take people off the streets. But it really began in 1987 when the Armed Career Criminal Act was passed that created stiff sentencing. It was particularly for gun felons. You would always talk about, oh, I want to be tough on gun crimes. You know who the toughest person was? Ronald Reagan. That's the blueprint. That people like Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, Republican leaders, Fox News pundits should be pushing. Instead, they're signing on to uprooting the law. Oh, no, we need to get rid of these mandatories. At a time when the courts are screwing with it and basically denuded, basically gutted the entire Armed Career Criminal Act. What Republicans should do is increase mandatory sentencing for gun felons. Okay? It's very simple. Take violent people off the streets. Very simple. See, there's something called jujitsu. Those of you who have taken jujitsu are familiar with it, where you use your opponent's energy against him, meaning not only does he not score on it, but you actually use it against him. I would take the energy. Hey, Democrats. Hey, come. Come at me. You want to discuss gun violence? Let's discuss it. 
Let's discuss all of the gun felons that you have let out on the streets and let's lock them up. Increase mandatory sentencing for gun felons. You want to put something on the Senate floor, Mitch McConnell? Put something on the floor to increase mandatory sentences for gun felons. Very simple. You're targeting the people who committed crimes with guns. And I would do this in two ways. Both people who committed a crime with a gun and then both people who are convicted of aggravated felonies who then are caught possessing a firearm. Yet these people are let out on probation and because of the jailbreak movement that doesn't want to break their trend of, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to let people out. I don't want to increase the prison population. Oh, come on. He was just caught violating his probation with a gun. I don't want to lock him up again. That is the attitude of every single city like Chicago, Democrat politician in these cities. Republicans need to rub it in their faces and say, no, you will, we will have mandatory sentencing for these people. What are Democrats supposed to do? Oh, no, uh, I'll let out gun felons. You want to talk about a vote to checkmate them? That's the vote. But no one's talking about this. And then just in general, we, the next item on my agenda is to actually make the mandatory minimum sentencing mandatory. See, there's all this talk about these draconian mandatory minimums. But the reality is the courts, as always, screwed with it. it they're no longer mandatory. They were mandatory from 1987 to 2005. And because of that, we had a two-decade-long massive decline in violent crime. In comes the famous Booker decision in 2005 and said, you have to read the statute as saying they're advisory. So most people don't even get the mandatories anymore. Congress needs to fix the Booker decision. Take bad guys who use guns and other weapons, which there's plenty of them, off the streets, not guns out of the hands of law-abiding citizens. It's that simple. It's that simple. People forget the reason why Reagan was so successful with this. And he, he spoke about this all the time in his radio addresses. He understood this. That... In a lot of liberal states, you had these people that were gangsters, they were doing drugs, they had felony possession of firearms, they were committing crimes with guns, but they were never nailed on first-degree murder. Heck, even some of the war were let out after a few years. And they saw people were escaping justice. So, you know, I, again, ideally this needs to be done at a local level. We all agree to that. But what Reagan saw a need at a federal level, what he did was say, hey, we're going to go and get federal prosecutors to target them on drug and gun charges. And they made stiff mandatory minimums for those two, and, and especially repeat offenders, hence the Armed Career Criminal Act. It was one of the greatest successes people forget about. That's how they took all these people off the streets. It wasn't just drugs. It, these were the people doing everything else, including murdering and maiming people with, among other things, the dreaded gun. Where is the criminal control agenda? But it gets worse than that. The courts are now screwing with gutting every provision of the Armed Career Criminal Act. Four years ago, 
in Johnson v. U.S., the Supreme Court said that the crime of violence provision in the ACCA is unconstitutionally vague. That's the aggravated felony, crime of violence. So it doesn't list every single thing that a person could do that would be subject to the mandatories, and it defines it very clearly, but there's this new trend in the courts that everything is unconstitutionally vague when it comes to criminal law. And then um, two years later in the Welch case, they made it retroactive, meaning the first time ever applied their new phantom constitutional interpretation retroactive, letting thousands of the worst career gun felons and other violent individuals out of prison. They were able to reopen their sentence, get early release, and then certainly all the new ones who weren't convicted were, were given a slap on the wrist as a result of the new interpretation. Just this year, in the Davis case, a couple months ago, Justice Neil Gorsuch joined with the four liberals and expanded this assault on the ACCA by saying that 924C3 convictions, these are 924C, anyone who knows, you know, if you're talking about guns, we should be talking about 924Cs, that's the statute that prohibits using or carrying a firearm during a federal crime of violence. Okay, you're using a firearm during a crime of violence, right? So if we're worried about gun violence, these are the people we should be targeting. So they said that the use of crime of violence in that context was also vague. That was gutted. That was a case there of armed robbers who were caught, you know, breaking into convenience stores and and aiming short-barreled shot, shotguns at store clerks. No, they get to avoid sentencing now. Everyone's saying, do something. We must do something about gun violence. We have the Supreme Court saying, oh, these laws aren't constitutionally vague, allowing the worst gun felons, robbers, murderers, gangsters, cartel dudes to get off with a slap on the wrist or vacate their sentencing. And to this day, not a single bill has been brought forth in Lindsey Gramnesty's Senate Judiciary Committee to fix these court rulings. Not that I believe that we should have to even do this, but if we're going to say the courts are God, then at least let's fix this. Where is that same degree of passion, of intrepidness, of commitment from Lindsey Graham and Senate Judiciary Republicans that control that panel? to push back against violent gun felons let go by the left and their stupid courts and politicians the same way the Democrat-led House Judiciary Committee is pushing to strip guns away from law-abiding citizens. And, and that's the thing. If you want to talk about violent felons possessing guns, see, hate crimes is BS because that's very notional. They could start convicting this show for hate crimes, you know, and then say, hey, you can't own a gun. <clears throat> The more concrete legal definition we should all agree to is someone convicted of an aggravated felony. I think we should go after those guys. If you're convicted of an aggravated felony and then you're caught with possession of guns, let's have a 20-year mandatory minimum on the guy. You want to deter that? Let's shake on it right here, right now. You want to do something about gun violence? Well, we have solutions in spades here. Republicans won't push them. If Republicans don't push them, Democrats don't feel the pressure to deal with it. Now, imagine 
rather than running away from the Second Amendment, if Republicans actually pushed this aforementioned agenda against violent gun felons, for them to then come back and say, you know what, now we're going to empower citizens to carry and expand their right to have good guys carry guns. Even under the liberal mindset of gun control, okay, even under the liberal mindset, their view that somehow you could create phantom laws that would stop this when we see none of them would because either they all passed background checks or they failed it and got it anyway on the black market. So there's never any new law that would somehow prevent it. Especially when they're the ones who don't want to enforce the, exi- the existing ones. But no logical person could say that once you have the guns, that anti-carry laws are effective. Because there's one thing if you say, oh, I could prevent a guy from getting a gun. But once he has it, the notion that you're going to say, oh, you can't carry, and a guy who's about to com- commit a mass murder is going to be like, hmm, I want to murder 50 people, but I don't know how to get my gun from my house to the venue because the law says I can't carry. No one in their right mind could say that that's going to determine, of course, he's going to carry. All it deters is the other people who might, God forbid, be at that mass shooting who could potentially take out their weapon and counter the guy. They're going to be like, look, I really have a right to carry, but I'm too, too scared to do it. I have said this before, and you know I'm a state's rights guy. But there are certain things a state cannot do. The federal government was created to protect our liberties when states either are inherently incapable, like with a foreign invasion, hence border and you know a military and things like that, or where states refuse and actually violate unalienable rights. That's when the feds have, have a need to step in, like they do with Jim Crow. And it's the same thing here. A state cannot violate these rights. The state of Maryland cannot tell me that I cannot carry any capacity of any firearm anywhere. They can't do that. It says shall not be infringed. The right to self-defense predates the Constitution, and it's inherent in the right to life, liberty, and property. Sam Adams, one of the greatest founders, he said, Quote, among the natural rights of the colonists are these. First, the right to life. Second, to liberty. And thirdly, to property, together with the right to defend them in the best manner they can. Because if you can't defend them, then what's the point in having it? Judge Timothy Farrar, he wrote the first and most respected post-14th Amendment constitutional treatise seamlessly listed the right to bear arms among the most unalienable rights that a state cannot take away. You know, everything's in the 14th Amendment, right? States can't do anything, photo ID, uh, you know, prevent illegals from stealing our right. Everything's in the 14th Amendment. Gay marriage, a mandatory sex change operations, everything's there, except for what's actually there. He said, by the way, Timothy Farrar was um, a law partner of Daniel Webster. And here's what he wrote. This is, it came out a year after the 14th Amendment was ratified. The states are recognized as governments and when their own constitutions permit, may do as they please, provided they do not interfere with the constitution and laws of the United States or with the civil or natural rights of the people recognized thereby and held in conformity to them. 
What are some of those rights? He enumerates it. The right of every person to life, liberty, and property to keep and bear arms to the writ of habeas corpus, trial by jury, and so on. So I believe that the federal government has the power to mandate that just like with driver's licenses, you must recognize someone's license from another state. And I believe that could even supplant an anti-carry law. So in other words, certainly that Floridians, let's just, I'm just picking a state, who come to Maryland should be able to carry. But I think even people like me in Maryland who can carry, I should be able to get a Florida um, uh, a carry license and I should then be able to use it in Maryland. Why do I say that? Republicans have the perfect opportunity to jujitsu the left's agenda with guns, anti-carry, and white supremacism. There's a dirty little secret going on that no one wants to talk about. And it's time we talk about it. In New York, this is particularly looks like in Brooklyn and some of these neighborhoods, one's uh, Crown Heights, where there's been a whole history behind that. Jews are getting beaten left and right. I mean, you know, everything is Nazis now, right? Every, everyone's a Nazi. Everything is Nazis to the left. I mean, you want to know what looks like 1938 era Germany. I mean, dude, I mean, left and right. This guy attacked with a rock. This is just over the weekend. Orthodox Jew belted by thugs on, on Brooklyn Street. Um, police are looking, this is from the Jewish press, police are looking for two men suspected of attacking Orthodox Jewish men in front of a Brooklyn synagogue. CBS News reported Sunday night. Um, police say that this has been the third attack on an Orthodox Jewish man in Brooklyn in less than a week. The attack took place in Midwood on Saturday night. Um, basically, there were two men who were drinking in front of the synagogue, and the men pushed their victim in the ground, pulled his belt, and began whipping him in the face repeatedly. When the medical team arrived, the man's face and head were full of cuts and bruises. Um, now, you might think these guys are looking for petty cash. But no, according to a tweet by former New York State Assemblyman Dov Heikind, a young Jewish man was called a blanken Jew and then belted over the head with a metal belt buckle. So that's what he is reporting. Um. Yeah. The media doesn't want to talk about this because this doesn't even involve guns, but they could wreak havoc with belts, rocks, fists. You can't carry a gun in New York. So these people are left helpless. Um, this is a group of very kind of, um, you know, cloistered. It's a, it's a sect of Orthodox Jews, a Hasidim. Um, they kind of keep to themselves not the type of people that are going to be trained in, you know, martial arts, that type of thing. Easy target. Certainly, they know they're not carrying weapons, and certainly you're not allowed to carry a firearm in New York. Republicans, if they were smart, would use this to demand that Jews in New York be allowed to carry. This is exactly why we have the right to carry. New York is in violation of civil rights. And the federal government needs to step in. This is the perfect jujitsu. I can guarantee you, not a single one of these attackers is 
is at all in any way white. Okay, that, that, that's just the reality here. I'm looking for another article here. I'm trying to find this. But they talked about is mainly black, but also Hispanic. It's from Tablet Magazine. And uh, we don't do anything about it. They won't talk about this because this is all motivated by blacks and Hispanics. And by the way, my understanding is in that neighborhood, a lot of them are not kind of traditional American blacks. They are Haitians. So that, that's another deal. We've let in a lot recently. Um, real nice, real nice. This is not happening in Mississippi, Alabama, Texas. This is happening in blue New York. And no one holds them accountable, both for the anti-Semitism and for the lack of self-defense. Why are Republicans running away from the Second Amendment when they could shove this in their face? And I guarantee you, most of these punks were probably arrested at some point. Or now, NYPD, if you saw the article last week, they're having a hands-off approach. Forget about convicting and sentencing people. A lot of times, they're not even arresting anymore because they're, they're, they're scared of getting accused of doing stuff. They're not even arresting. So free reign, weak on crime, tough on guns, so good people can't carry guns. And then you have a bunch of anti-Semitic thugs, who, by the way, are not white, um, which is why the media won't talk about this. But we will talk about it. Just beating people really badly. I mean, I, I haven't followed this closely enough, but you read some of these articles. And the only way you really find this out is is like, you know, local Jewish media. Um, it's not really being covered. I mean, they're scared to do their things. They're scared to go out. They're scared to um, evidently they hang out outside of the synagogues and attack these people coming out. Is it that hard for Republicans to have a counter agenda? Chicago. Endless shootings in a gun control city full of people let, let out of jail and never locked up. New York, full of anti-Semitic beatings when, when Jews can't carry guns. Again and again. But people like, like Greg Abbott, are, are they just don't know what to do with themselves. Just promote Democrat talking points. And then, then there's the open violence. There's Antifa. Where's the Republican hearings on the attacks on ICE? Over the weekend, uh, it got buried in the news. Woman charged in Florida after throwing malt of cocktail into citizenship agency office. This is uh, ABC 7 News. A woman tossed a lit Molotov cocktail into the lobby of a USCIS office in Oakland Park, Florida. No one was reported injured, according to a report of the incident. The woman walked into the office Friday afternoon and hurled a bottle filled with gasoline and lit a fuse. Luckily, the fuse disconnected and didn't light. But again, you know, eventually someone's going to get killed. Republic, I mean, the left will milk what they perceive as an event legitimizing and validating their policy premises. Republicans will not push any of this. 
any of this. It's unbelievable. Let, let me read to you this from, from a couple of weeks ago. Dory Munson from KIRO, conservative radio station in Seattle. Good for them for doing this. Three strikes offender on the run after twice given clemency by Inslee. A three strikes and you're out offender is likely on the run in the Puget Sound area. And basically, go on, he goes on to say that, that you know, Washington State had a three strikes and you're out law, which we should all agree to, that felons who have been convicted of two serious violent offenses, such as murder, rape, or child molestation, must go to jail for life with no chance of parole upon the third conviction. We should all agree to that. Everyone should agree. A guy like that is irremediably broken. You're not going to rehabilitate that guy. It's not, oh, give him a second chance. He had a second chance. It's not a low-level offense. And again, that if you do that swiftly, that's how you deter more of this. But basically, the clemency board, together with the governor, could pardon these people, even with that law, and they're just basically pardoning everyone. Tracy Hoggett, 59, had a long list of offenses, first-degree robbery, secondary assault, secondary theft, on and on. In January of 2017, Governor Inslee and the clemency board approved Hoggett's request for her clemency. Um, he wrote that Hoggett had taken steps to turn his life around and developed a strong sense of empathy. So he was granted clemency. Three months, three months later, he went to jail for violation of his release. And he was put back in prison. Guess what? This past Tuesday, but this was a couple of weeks ago, Inslee let Hoggett out on clemency for a second time. But with the condition that he go to a halfway house. However, he got off the bus in Seattle without going to the Kelso halfway house. And... I don't know if anything has changed since then, but as of that, his writing, no one knew where he was. And this guy had a history of avoiding trial and running away, absconding. This is the story of our criminal justice system. Again and again and again and again. This is from uh, Mogadishu, a.k.a. Minneapolis. Minneapolis man... This is Alpha News, Minnesota. Um, Minneapolis man charged with sexual assault of 14-year-old he met online. A North Minneapolis man is accused of strangling and threatening to stab a 14-year-old girl and punching her in the face several times before sexually assaulting her in April, according to Hennepin County criminal complaint. The incident reportedly happened after 8 p.m. Um, after the victim said she was picked up at a friend's house in South Minneapolis by a male she met online. The man later identified as Abifeta Ali Khalif, 18, climbed into the back seat after the vehicle drove away and began pulling away the clothing of the girl. I'm not going to read. I mean, it's it's horrendous. Um, the criminal complaint. Um, she had serious injuries um, all over herself, a fractured eye socket, as well as injuries from the assault, the sexual assault, and. Um, Look, this guy, this guy evidently needed a, an interpreter in court. And I think he had a criminal record. So we didn't have time to get to the second half of the equation. 
But as we've been talking about ad nauseum for a month, the most avoidable crimes are what? Are the repeat offenders of other countries criminals that we bring in through the legal system, illegally, sanctuaries, where's the vetting? Where's the national discussion on this? And I, I, I could talk all day about these cases that we missed since we met last on, on Friday over the, the weekend. But it's again and again and again and again. No effort to have a national discussion. You know, we, we now know that there are seven, at least seven convicted or, sorry, arrested sex offenders, mainly child sex offenders, in Montgomery County, Maryland, one sanctuary county, this past month. Thanks to Kevin Lewis, terrific uh, reporter from um, Montgomery County. He's, he's reporting on all this, and he is actually getting a hold of the arrest records. I want you to see on the screen here, we have from his Twitter account, um, if you look at the arrest records, he has more cases that he hasn't verified. But you look at the names. These are the names of those arrested for sexual assault. Look at them. What? More than half of them are Hispanic sounding names. That's insane. Again, most Hispanics like Americans are law abiding citizens. I mean, Hispanic Americans, um, they don't do this. But what this tells you is likely there are people we let in recently or mainly illegally and they're attracted to Montgomery County because it's a sanctuary. And if not for sanctuaries, they wouldn't be here. We are importing needless, needless crimes, heinous crimes, terrible crimes. And we don't do anything about it. Nothing. Where is the effort to punish sanctuary cities, have Congress cut off grant programs, and use that funding for a victim of a legal aliens crime fund? Slam that bill on the floor and let Democrats vote against it. Allow citizens to sue sanctuary cities. Just unbelievable. We don't have time to get to this. We're out of time here. But we're going to go more on this tomorrow with illegal aliens. Kate Steinle, the murderer, was now let off on the remaining charges of gun charges. He was acquitted on gun charges. He was already acquitted for murder. First degree, second degree, third degree, even even what's ostensibly fourth degree, involuntary manslaughter, he was acquitted. But the guy admitted to holding a gun. He was, a, he was five times deported, seven-time convicted felon, so he's, and he was an illegal alien, so he certainly couldn't possess a gun. He was acquitted on felony possession of firearms. Where are Republicans talking about this? Where are the committee hearings about Kate Steinle's murder and how to close these judicial loopholes to ensure that repeat offender criminal alien gun felons are convicted on gun felonies. Nothing. Where's the effort to better vet criminal aliens and terrorists coming in this country needlessly? This Teletubby buffoon Greg Abbott in Texas is talking about the left's narrative when this guy will not talk about Billy Chemimer, the criminal alien who should have been deported with a criminal record, accused of smothering to death at least 19 senior citizens with nothing more than a pillow. And this guy has nothing to say about it. That's the Republican Party for you folks.
Imagine if we had a Republican Party that had this much energy, passion, intellectual, and moral fortitude for their supposed party's platform like the left and the Democrats did theirs. Tomorrow, I'll be reporting to you from our Central Command Center. I'm going to be in D.C. have a busy day there, doing a lot there. So you'll see a little different look behind me. Um, we're trying to get an important guest, but I don't want to tease it yet in case it doesn't fall through. But uh, we're going to keep on this agenda because nobody else is speaking for the forgotten American citizen, American taxpayer, victim of crime, and those of us who don't want our constitutional rights taken away so that we could lie, shield, and obfuscate for the worst criminals in this country. Till tomorrow, thanks for listening, and God bless.